Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Saving Grace, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans. Here's Pastor Nick. going to be continuing our study, studying through Paul's letter to the Romans. And this week we are in chapter 13. So if you open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. So you got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then the book of Acts, and then the book of Romans, if you're looking for it in your Bible. So Matthew, Mark, Luke's, <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans, and then chapter 13. We encourage you to open up there. If you use the, your phone for your Bible, then you can just find it on there. But So let's begin our study this morning by reading some of our text, which comes from Romans chapter 13. We're going to begin in verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Verse 7. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Verse 8, owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and we come to it this morning desiring to hear from you and desiring, Lord, to be changed and transformed to be challenged, Lord, in some areas where we need to be challenged, to be strengthened in areas where we need to be strengthened. Lord, we desire to see you, Jesus. We desire that you would make the gospel so clear in our hearts and minds, Lord, that we would be filled with hope and with confidence, and that we'd leave this place not only transformed, but filled with hope and confidence as we face the world we live in. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So are you guys loving this election cycle we're in? I mean, nothing, nothing brings together people like politics. Am I right? I mean, are you guys some awesome TV commercials and get to hear all these great things? I mean, are you, you guys are just really enjoying it like I am. Obviously not, right? Like nothing, maybe I wouldn't say nothing brings us together like politics and maybe nothing divides us in this country perhaps more than politics. And I think we can all agree that these are pretty tumultuous times that we live in in our country politically. Some of you here today are probably convinced that Uh, Our current president is the worst president we've ever had in the history of our country. And others of you here today are convinced that the last president we had before him was the worst president we ever had in the history of our country. Uh, Others of you, you know, you you just are like, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't even want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. Well, the good news is that Thanksgiving is coming up. So you're going to have the opportunity to gather with your extended family and uh, argue with that aunt and that cousin, or at least listen to other people argue about politics, those, those family members who love to do it. Thanksgiving is a perfect opportunity for that. And it just brings us to a really good question, a really big question that all of us innately deal with as Christians, whether we, whether we want to face it or not, and that is this. How are we as Christians to relate to the society that we live in and the culture that we live in? There's a famous book, kind of a classic book, a study on this subject by a man named Richard Niebuhr, and he wrote a book many years ago called Christ and Culture. And uh, in that book, he outlines five different ways that Christians have historically tended to relate to society and culture. 
And on the one extreme, you have those who totally withdraw and separate from society, like the Amish and like the monks who live in monasteries or people who go and form Christian communes where they can be totally separate, right? Separate from society, separate from the world, untouched by culture and and the world. But the thing is, right, if we do that, then how can we fulfill this mission that Jesus has given us to be salt and light and to be uh, to bring his light into the world. On the other extreme, you have those who, who just fully embrace culture with, with no reservations at all. And yet the Bible tells us that this world is fallen, therefore the culture is fallen, and it warns us, the Bible warns us not to get too wrapped up in the things of this world. And in between, right, you have some Christians who believe it's their Christian duty to get involved in politics and shape society and create a a just and fair society. And you also have other Christians who say that, you know, Christians shouldn't have anything to do with politics whatsoever. We should only focus on the kingdom of God and and maybe saving people out of this world, not just trying to, you know, put up new window dressings on a world that is, is doomed anyway. Throughout history, you can kind of track it, how Christians have related to society in different ways throughout history. During the Reformation itself, you had people who took different approaches. You had, on the one hand, Ulrich Zwingli, the Swiss reformer. He was a pastor, but he was also a patriot. And he took the Bible in one hand and the sword in the other hand, and he led troops into battle and and fought in a war. On the other hand, you had people like the Mennonites, who said that no Christian should ever get involved with any civic part of society. You should never fight as a soldier for any country in the world because, you know, that is the right way to be a Christian. Now, in our text today, we're addressing this issue. How should Christians relate to society and culture in light of the gospel, in light of the gospel, right? So how do we, who have become sons and daughters of the Most High King, sons and daughters of God because of what Jesus did for us, how are we to relate to the earthly governments that we find ourselves living under? How are we to relate to the surrounding culture? So in his letter to the Philippians, Paul wrote this phrase, which is quite well known, but here's what he said. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as Christians, we are citizens of heaven. That is our true home. That is where our hope lies. That's where our hope is at. But here's the thing I want to tell you about this passage that's, that's interesting. I think a lot of people don't think through when they're reading this passage. Do you know where Paul was when he wrote those words? Well, he was in house arrest. He was in Rome, right, under house arrest. He had Roman guards chained to him 24 hours a day. They were on four-hour shifts. They would change out every couple hours. Now, there are a group of letters in the New Testament called the prison epistles, and, uh, and I've got a list of them there for you on the screen. The only thing is that that name, the prison epistles, is actually a little bit misleading. The only letter that Paul wrote from in like an actual prison was 2 Timothy. And he wrote that right before he was executed. But the other prison epistles, the other four that are called prison epistles, were actually written not really from prison, but from house arrest. Paul was under arrest in Rome. I mean, he was being held in Rome awaiting an appeal before Caesar that he himself had requested. Paul was living in a rented house. People could visit him. They could stay with him for extended periods of time. And the guards that were guarding him weren't primarily guarding him to keep Paul from running away. They were primarily guarding him to keep other people from coming and assassinating him or trying to kidnap him. You see, because there were a lot of people, mostly Jewish radicals, who wanted Paul dead because he was preaching about Jesus and many Jewish people were converting to Christianity. And Paul had been falsely accused of a crime. We read about this in Acts chapters 20 through the end of the book. 
Paul had been accused of a crime, but even when it was proven that he was innocent, that he didn't commit the crime, the authorities refused to let him go and release him. They were holding him illegally and without a charge. And so Paul used his right as a Roman citizen to get fair treatment and to appeal his case to Caesar. And we know that Paul's appeal was eventually successful. He actually did uh, get exonerated in this case. In other words, I want you to see the irony here. Here's Paul telling the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. And yet here's Paul taking advantage of his own rights and privileges as a Roman citizen. And so you got to ask the question, Paul, which is it? I mean, come on, man. Are you a citizen of heaven or are you a citizen of of earth? And he would say, well, I'm both. I'm a dual citizen. See, this is a unique position that we have as Christians. We are dual citizens. We're citizens of heaven who are also citizens of, of earthly countries as well. So on the one hand... God tells us that we are to see ourselves as sojourners, that we're just passing through this world, that it's not our home, that we're on our way to our real home. But on the other hand, God tells us that we're also called to be ambassadors and representatives of his kingdom here on earth. And so in light of all that God has done for us, that's what we've seen so far in the book of Romans. It's been all about what has God done for us? How does Jesus save us? What has he done? And what has he saved us from? Now, in light of all of that, How do we live now in light of this hope that we have, in light of the future that we have, in light of all that we've received in Christ? How are we to live as citizens of heaven here on earth? And here's what we see in this chapter. Two big things. How the gospel shapes our relationship with society. That's verses one through seven. And then how the gospel shapes our relationship with culture. So how the gospel changes our our relationship with society and then how it changes our relationship with culture. Let's begin by looking at the first part. How does the gospel shape our relationship with society? So the main reason why Paul brings this up here is because of what he said at the end of chapter 12. It's one of the benefits, by the way, of how we study the Bible. We kind of go consecutively through a book. So we left off last week looking at this section at the end of Romans chapter 12, where Paul essentially says this. How does the gospel change how we relate to our enemies? Well, here's how. If someone sins against you, you're to forgive them. You're not to hold on to bitterness. You're not to seek vengeance, but you're to entrust that to God. Let God be your judge. Let him get the vengeance and the judgment and all that. You forgive people. Don't repay evil for evil. Let God be the judge, and you worry about building bridges with people, not about getting revenge. Now, we live in a world where to do that is super countercultural, right? Like it, we live in a world where bitterness and, and vengeance is, is kind of the way that we work. But God is calling us out of that. He's calling us to something higher, something greater, something better. I mean, imagine how different the world would be. Imagine how different your relationships would be if we were people of love and, and forgiveness rather than people of bitterness and revenge. And you, you think, wow, that would be incredible. But let's take that one step further. What if the whole world was like that? What if we lived in a world where instead of wars and, and fighting, the, there was a world where there was no more crime and, and no more war and people just loved each other and forgave each other and, and that would be great. Well, it would be great. But then what happens is you pull up your news feed on a Saturday morning on your phone and what do you read? Well, you see the reality of the world that we live in. We see that people send pipe bombs in the mail to people they disagree with. We see that people go into synagogues and open fire and shoot innocent people during a baby dedication. There are people who exploit women. There are people who hurt children. There are people who take advantage of the elderly. And you can't help but look at that and say, okay, really there is evil in the world. 
Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. Pastor Nick has written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. In this book, Pastor Nick deals directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities. Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there any actual proof that God exists or that the Bible is trustworthy? Pastor Nick addresses these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or has concerns about these topics. And it is a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Christianity, wherever books are sold or visit nickkady.org. To celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as our gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Beset Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now, back to today's message. And so wait, so, so what does the Bible say that we should do about that? Are we just supposed to forgive people and then just not do anything about what they do? Like not make them pay for, for doing these, these heinous crimes and these terrible acts? I mean, yeah, they will have to stand before God on Judgment Day. But you know what? There's a lot of days between now and Judgment Day when they can do a whole lot of damage still. And so this idea of everybody just loving each other and being nice, well, it sounds great in theory, but there's some real evil in the world. And so if the Christian solution is just, oh, well, you just got to forgive everybody and, and then let God deal with the judgment, well, that's, first of all, it's not even practical, somebody might say. And secondly, it's downright dangerous. And not only is it downright dangerous, but it's actually maybe even despicable because it says that not only, it, it's not about protecting the victims and the potential victims, who might be hurt in the future. You're doing nothing by just saying, okay, hey, uh, I forgive you and God will deal with you. Jesus' disciples asked him, how many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? Should I forgive them seven times? They thought they were being very generous. I mean, seven times is a whole lot of times to forgive somebody who keeps doing the same thing to you, right? And Jesus said, no, not seven times, but 77 times, seven times. And so the question is, does that mean that if somebody is abusing you, if somebody is hurting you, taking advantage of you, or hurting somebody else, that you're just supposed to keep on forgiving them and then let them, give them more and more opportunities to just continue abusing you and hurting you and, and maybe hurting other people? Is that what Christians teach? No, that is not what Christians teach at all. And that, that's where Romans chapter 13 comes in. Because here's the deal. On a personal level, we are called to love our enemies and forgive those who sin against us, right? That's what we read in chapter 12. But we're, we're making a mistake if we confuse the personal with the social in the sense of this. Romans 13 tells us that one of the ways that God deals with evil in the world is through human governments, the police, the judicial system, the courts, the prison. It tells us that God has actually ordained the institution of human government. Check out what it says in verse 1. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Verse 4, For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on evildoers. What this is saying is that there is a legitimate function of government in society, which is actually ordained by God. And it's ordained by God for uh, several purposes. And the main purpose is this, to protect the weak and the vulnerable and to punish evildoers. So when a government punishes those who do evil, they're actually doing God's work. 
Biblically speaking, the first role of government is to make sure that evil doesn't run rampant in society, and it's to punish those who do evil. So governments should be having laws against crimes, and they should be employing people to enforce those laws so that evil is suppressed. And that's why Paul says this here in verse 2. He says, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what's good, and you will receive approval. Verse 4. For he's God's servant for good. For if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. So if you are a public servant of some kind, uh, notice what it says here, that you are a servant of God in the community and you should seek to fulfill your role in a way that is just and righteous before God. In other words, also, the legal channels that we have at our disposal, they're part of God's grace to us. They're actually meant to be a blessing to us. So again, on the interpersonal level, if someone sins against you, then you are called to forgive them and not to seek revenge. But on a social level, we are to recognize that the legal and judicial system is ordained by God for good, and it's his instrument for justice in the world. So let me just give you an example of how this might work. So let's imagine uh, you wake up in the middle of the night and you hear somebody moving around in your house. Somebody's broken into your house. And so you sneak out into the hallway, you go out into the kitchen and you, you meet this person. You have an altercation with this person, this burglar, and you're able to subdue them and pin them to the ground. What should you do? Well, should you just tell them, hey, I forgive you and, uh, you know, run along now and, and have a nice life? Well, no, because you don't know how many other houses this person has broken into. You don't know how many houses they're going to break into if you just let them go. And so what you should do is you should tie that person up and then you should call the police. And as the police are on their way, you should cook that person some food and then tell them, hey, look, bro, I forgive you for what you just did to me. Uh, God has forgiven me in Jesus and I forgive you. I don't hold any grudge against you for what you did. I'm, I'm going to pray for you that God gets a hold of your heart and, and gets a hold of your life and, and whatever's causing you to do this, you know, that God deals with that in your life. But then you hand them over to the police and when it comes time for the trial, you go in and you testify about what happened, not as a form of retribution, not to stick it to them or get revenge, but so that justice can be done for the sake of the burglar himself and for the sake of society as a whole. So, so this comes about in a lot of abusive relationships. You, you get these kind of questions where people think that to forgive someone means that you protect that person from facing the consequences of their actions, whether legally or, or even in the relationship. That, you know, oh, well, if I forgive you, that means that uh, there will be no consequences whatsoever and I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to let you continue. Now, let me be clear. We should always forgive we should always forgive those who hurt us. And here's why. You don't, and you don't even have to wait for them to apologize in order for you to forgive. Forgiving, you're letting go of that thing. You're saying, I am truly going to let God be the judge over this. And here's why. Because holding on to bitterness and resentment, do you know what it does? When you hold on to bitterness and resentment, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. In the end, you're the only one who suffers. You're the only one who gets hurt from that. See, we are to forgive because God in Christ forgives us. But here's the important thing. Forgiving someone doesn't mean that you just allow them to continue abusing you or hurting other people. See, forgiving someone doesn't mean that you, you don't necessarily involve the police if a crime has taken place or been committed. 
See, over the years, I've heard of churches who don't report crimes that, that take place in their churches to the police. They say, we're going to deal with that situation internally. And some of those churches have gotten in big trouble, and in some cases, rightly so, because usually what ends up happening is that they protect the perpetrator from the police rather than protecting the victim and any future victims from any future crimes. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul's writing to the Christians in Corinth about a situation where some of them were taking each other to court and suing each other. And Paul says, this isn't good. I mean, think about the reputation of your church in the community. You're airing your dirty laundry publicly, and this isn't good. And he says, you shouldn't be doing this. He says, you should be dealing with these things internally. But that's a different situation. Let me explain. Those were lawsuits, right? So this is kind of like small claims court. This is like, you know, somebody in the church, you lend them some money, and then they don't want to pay you back, so you go on Judge Judy, and you make a big deal of it in the public. And I mean, that kind of stuff, really, we should be dealing with that stuff within the church. But when it comes to crimes, when it comes to things where people are, are victimized or endangered, we need to remember that the laws and, and the legal system are actually ordained by God in order to be a blessing, not just to us, but to society at large. Now, I anticipate the question, maybe not all of you would ask this question, but I'm sure somebody's thinking about this, like, well, what about Hitler? That's the big question with this section. Now, now, let me be clear. I'm not naive, right? And I know that you're not naive, and that's why you ask these questions, because this chapter is painting a pretty rosy picture of, of the government, isn't it? But what about the Hitlers and the Stalins of this world? What about when the police are corrupt? What about when the government acts unjustly and unrighteously? Well, what does the Bible have to say about that? Well, it has quite a bit to say, honestly, Notice what it says in verse 2, that all authority is from God. And some people would say, well, what about Hitler? What about Stalin? What about evil rulers throughout history? All authority is from God in the sense that God ordains the institution and God allows people to get into those positions. But clearly, it is absolutely possible for someone to get into a position of power and then abuse that role and abuse that power. And if you read the Old Testament prophets, for example, they talk a lot about this, about how God is going to severely deal with those leaders who take advantage of their power and use it for evil rather than for good. And so in verse 5, Paul says, therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So keep in mind, what government is Paul talking about here? He's writing to the people in Rome who live in Rome, right? Under the Roman government. Now, I don't need to tell you uh, all of the sins of the Roman government. Let's just say there were a few. Should I remind you that these are the people who nailed Jesus to the cross? Should I remind you that these are the people who, in just a few years after this letter is written, they will actually execute Paul the Apostle, the guy who's writing this, this letter, right? This is the government that said Christianity is illegal. They called it an illicit religion. They, they were a government who condoned morality. They, they were a government who persecuted Christianity. And so Paul is laying out here for us principles, principles which apply to all people at all times throughout history under all governments. But here's the thing to keep in mind. As we're told to submit to the authorities, the Bible also teaches us that submission to government is not absolute. It's not absolute. There are limits to it. And you know that's true of authority in every sphere of life whether it's in a family and marriage, whether it's in your role at work. Yes, we're encouraged to submit, but that submission is not absolute, right? There are limits to it. Absolute submission is due to God and God alone. So if the government 
or someone in authority commands something that God forbids or they forbid something that God commands, then obviously we are to obey God and not that human authority. He is our, our supreme authority. And there are examples of this in the Bible, quite a few examples. I'll just give you a few. For example, in the book of Acts, chapter 5, we read that the authorities come and they tell the Christians to stop preaching and teaching about Jesus. And they say, sorry, like respectfully, we're going to have to say no and, and we'll take the consequences, whatever they be. Because look, Jesus gave us a mission to go into all the world and tell people about him and the good news. And, and we have to obey God rather than man in, in doing that. Another example is found in the book of Exodus. Maybe you remember the story. When Moses was born, the Egyptian government gave a decree and an order that all of the newborn Hebrew babies had to be drowned in the river because they were trying to limit the, the growth of the Hebrew population. So they said, well, we're just going to you know, commit mass infanticide. Every baby that is born needs to be killed and drowned in the river. But the Hebrew midwives refused to obey that order. So that was an act of civil disobedience. They refused to obey the order because what the government was telling them to do was wrong. And then we have the book of Daniel, right, which is really interesting because in Daniel, we see Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego right there. They're carried away into Babylon. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.